Don't stop on my behalf. <laughs> Amen, huh? Wow. I am glad that I don't have to follow that. We will let the everlasting gospel speak for us, all right? Amen? That's what we do here. If you're new to First United Methodist Church, we're a church that believes in the Word. We believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe that Christ is coming back to rule in final victory. And so we lean into His Word every single week. Uh, we let it lay upon our souls, and we gather from it the nourishment that we need for living day to day. So Pastor Keith is going to come to preach to you and with you and for you. Uh, that gospel in just a moment, and it's going to lay on these scriptures and one or two others that he uses. Our scripture this morning that we lead with comes from the gospel of John. Some important words from the 8th chapter. All words of scripture are important. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is is a slave to sin. Now a slave that has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. These are the words of our God for this day. Let us pray. O God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Father of all who have come before us and Holy Parent of each of us, we give you thanks on this Mother's Day that we're able to hear your word, that we're able to stand in awe of you. And through the singing of spirituals, through the praying of prayers, through the reading of this scripture, and now, Lord, through the proclamation of it, we ask that your spirit truly move within us that it move in this congregation, and that we truly might receive the freedom that you give us. All we need to do, Lord, is open our hearts to you. And so we pray, Lord, for our pastor who comes to speak this morning, to guide us in these truths, to extrapolate, Lord, from this scripture, that which you would have us hear this morning. So empower Keith this morning, Lord, as he speaks your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Go get him. Good morning. Great to be with you this morning. Happy Mother's Day to everybody. We got that, right? If you forget that, it's big problems, right? So we're glad that you're all here this morning. We, we are so excited to be able to worship the living God today. I, I tell you what, I, I just love that song the choir sang. And, and, and when Barry was up there singing that solo, he was singing about that he's free. He has freedom to, to, to proclaim Jesus, freedom to choose Christ. And I think that that's important. Satan has no hold because Jesus said is free. Those aren't just words of a song that we sing on a Sunday morning. They're, they're the truth of the scriptures. And they're, they're part of the membership vows that we take as a church. And Pastor Mike and I are in the middle of a, of a sermon series about that called Should I Join? And what we're doing is we're walking through the vows that we take as we become members of the church so that we have an understanding of what they truly mean. Now, now, that's important to do because our goal with this is simply to make membership more meaningful. To make it more meaningful to those of us who are members 
and to make it more meaningful to those who are thinking of becoming members because we don't want it just to be something you do for whatever reason. I, I got to have a, a, a neat conversation on Friday with someone who called my phone to talk to me about, about uh, their, their daughter who, who's going to go to camp this year and, and starting to get involved in church stuff. But they said, well, she's getting confirmed. She's going through confirmation at, a, at another church in town but she wants to be a part of what's going on here. Do, do you guys accept Lutheran confirmation? <clears throat> that was like a fastball right down the plate for Pastor Guy. I was like, absolutely not. We got to straighten everything out, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I said, yeah, we, we, of course. Of course. But, but her question to me was, well, can she just join your church instead of what? And I said, let me ask you a question. Why, do, why does she need to join? She, sh- she doesn't need to join. Well, because she wants to come to... Th- I said, she doesn't have to join to come to anything. You don't have to join the church to be a part of the family of, of God or to, to come to stuff or to be involved. That's not why we join. See, this isn't a, cl- a country club. This isn't some sort of elite social organization where when you walk in, we check your papers at the door to make sure that you're part of us. <laughs> This is, this is a family here at First United Methodist Church, and all are welcome to be a part and participate. But what we talked about was you join for a different reason. You join because you sense a call from God to be a part of the mission and vision of the church, and you are sensing a, 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 a leading from the Spirit of God to officially, and, to officially and publicly declare that you want to be part of this specific local assembly of believers that you're saying, I want to be a part of this family officially. I want to come under the spiritual leadership of this church, and I want to, to, to give and support and, and, and be loyal to this particular congregation so that God could be glorified through what we're doing here. But you don't have to be you know, a card-carrying member to come and participate. Why don't you come and be a part of it? And then if God puts that on your heart to join, then you can do that. I don't think she expected all that from me on the phone that day. <clears throat> <laughs> I mean, some things just work out perfectly in good timing, don't they? And I've never been one to shortchange an answer to a question about church stuff. <clears throat> some of you are already going, yeah, we get it, Pastor Keith, we know. <clears throat> so should you join? Last week, Pastor Mike basically talked about all the things that you say no to when you join a church. All the things that we renounce. Like, as you come up here and join this church, the first vow that you make is to renounce the spiritual forces of evil in this world, to reject uh, oppression and injustice, and then repent of your sin. So renounce, reject, repent. It's essentially saying, here as a believer in Christ and a member of this church, I am a person who renounces evil in this world. So it's an emptying of yourself. It's an emptying of your heart to say, these things have no place in my life anymore. Well, the human heart was never meant to be a vacuum. It was never meant to be empty, but always filled. So today we're going to talk about the things that we say yes to when we join a church. The things that we, that we say, okay, we're getting rid of the sin. Now what are we bringing in and how does that take place? So the next statement that we make when we join the church are these two sentences here. To accept the freedom and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. And then to receive and profess the Christian faith as contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. So we're going to walk through 
each of these statements here this morning. And the first statement that we make is this, that we need freedom and power to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. Now, what I want to focus on are the words freedom, power, and from God. Okay? We need freedom and power from God. See, central to our belief is that in order to receive that freedom that the choir was singing about, that that freedom, it comes from God. And the point is that we can't muster up enough resolve or willpower in and of ourselves to be free. This freedom can only come from one place. It comes from God. See, you and I, the Bible says, are slaves. Jesus says are slaves. And, and until we recognize what that means, we'll never understand freedom. You see, there's a big misconception about freedom in our culture, especially in America here, because we live in this idea that thinks that having multiple options of sin to pick from equals freedom. Think about that for a second. We are addicted to this idea of choice and freedom in our culture. And we don't want anyone telling us what we can or can't do. So we think that by having the ability to choose different things we want to do, that makes us free. But the freedom that Jesus talks about is not a freedom to choose. It's a freedom of the heart. And what we have to recognize is this. It's not okay to just substitute one bad thing for another bad thing and call that freedom. Many people have, have experienced this. I certainly have, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. There's a behavior in your life or something that you want to be free from. Maybe it's something that you're addicted to or something that you keep doing or an attitude that you might have. And you see that in your life and you know it's wrong and you want to stop that. So you, you, you expend all this energy and time and resources on trying to overcome this thing, right? And what often happens is, left to our own devices, we'll just substitute whatever we're trying to get over for something else, won't we? You know, we'll substitute the, uh, the alcohol for, for, you know, some sort of drugs. Or we'll substitute the addiction to money to the addiction to golf, which golf costs money, doesn't it, or something like that? I don't know. <clears throat> we substitute this, this uh, you know, one destructive thing for another. We take this idol and we knock it down and we resurrect another in its place. And Jesus says, look, as long as you keep doing that, you're still a slave. Because anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Take a look at those verses that Pastor Mike read again. These come from, from the 8th chapter of, of John. And he's talking to these Jews who had believed in him. And he's talking about spiritual freedom. But you see, they think he's talking about political freedom. And, and he says to them, look, if you, if you hold to my teaching, if you understand what I'm saying to you, and you do it, then you're my disciple, which means learner. Okay, that's what it means to be a disciple, to learn from Jesus. So if you're learning what I'm saying then you're one of my learners. And if you do what I say, then you'll know the truth. And the truth is what will make you free. And they say, what are you talking about, Jesus? We, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anybody. Now, I, I bet Jesus probably cracked up laughing at that one. I mean, anybody ever read the Old Testament? Any part of it? You ever see any of the movies? You know, Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, any of that kind of thing? What, what you see is the same thing over and over, isn't it? I mean, the story of the people of Israel, which is really just a microcosm of all of our stories, is that, that they were in bondage, enslaved in Egypt, and God sent a deliverer named Moses who set them free through the blood of the Lamb, right? And they walked out 
into the wilderness, headed for the promised land, led by the Spirit of God, only to, rather than follow the law of God, which they were given, to rebel against it, to complain, and to completely forget about all the great things God had ever done in their life. And they just wandered around in circles, and they just never seemed to get anywhere, and they, of course, blamed God for all of that. You ever do that? God, I didn't do what you said, and I didn't listen to your warnings, I didn't follow your advice, and things went badly, so what's the deal with that? Well, sooner or later, God warns them through prophets and through, through his word, and of course they refuse that, so, so bad things happen, they're, they're captured and oppressed, and then of course they, they realize, what have we done, what have we done, so they turn back to God, and God restores and forgives them, and they, they go back to freedom, and the, then rinse and repeat. They forget about it, and then they go back to sin. You see, Jesus said, this has your, been your story. This is all of our stories. He said, it's anybody's story who sins, which that's all of us, Amen. See, the Bible says we've all sinned. And Jesus says, look, if you are sin, if you sin, then you're a slave to that sin. But if you follow what I tell you, then and only then you can be free. Because whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. So recognize this. We need freedom and power from God to experience freedom. We need that. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. I read this quote from C.S. Lewis this morning who said that the, the story of humanity, all of history, is the, the horrible, terrible story of human beings searching after anything other than God to make them happy. That's human history. You see, until we have Jesus, we don't have freedom. You can have every option in front of you. You can choose any number of things that you want to do with yourself or you want to give yourself to, and you might think that you're free, but your heart and my heart is desperately wicked, the Bible says, and will always lead us off course, will always try to take us from God. But when Christ comes, he gives us that freedom so that we actually truly can choose to follow Jesus. But it comes from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Now, we have to be on guard for this, even in the, even in the church even as members of the church, because it's not uncommon for, for even Christians to substitute sinful idol over here for sinful idol over here, but with a Christian bow wrapped around it, and we call it okay. Anybody know who Fred Phelps is or was? Pastor of Westboro Baptist Church down in Kansas. He's the one that has the signs that, that protests all the funerals of the soldiers and everything else. His message is that God hates everybody and that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, his, his grandson... There was a news story this week. Fred Phelps died a couple months ago, I think, or something like that. And, and his grandson finally had enough courage to leave that church. Now, that church is really one family. It's about 20 people or so. And, and, and they've made it their mission, of course, in the name of Jesus, to tell everybody that God hates them. Great message. And, and uh, this grandson finally stood up and said, I, I, I can leave now. He never felt the freedom to do that because he was always under the oppression of his grandfather. And he said once he walked out, he realized that what he was doing was not done in the name of Jesus. But you see, sometimes as Christians, people can, can take their sin and just find a way to put it in the Christian box and they think it's okay. They, they take their, their, their bad attitudes or their judgmentalism or their air of superiority or their pride or, or whatever, and they'd bring it into the church and wrap a bow on it and call it Jesus and think it's okay. All of us have to be on guard against this. We all have to recognize 
that we need freedom and power from God. And the only way to live differently is found in Jesus. Now, the second thing that we say is this, that we receive the faith. We receive the faith. The scripture from Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, that's incredibly important. It's important for us to recognize that the faith is something that we receive. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we inherit from our parents or from our spouse. Or it's not something that we buy with our church offerings or that we uh, just get by osmosis from being here. The faith is a gift from God that we receive. And the way by which we receive it is through the spoken word of God. It's through the gospel. It's the message that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came into this world, that He took the penalty of our sin on the cross, that He shed His blood for us, that we might have life in His name. And then on the third day, He rose from the grave bodily and literally and ascended into heaven. We say this in our Apostles' Creed every single week. This is what we've received. We didn't create it. We receive it. It's a gift. And that's important for us to remember. This scripture that we've talked about a lot from Matthew is this encounter with Jesus in Matthew 16, 5 through 17, where he's talking to Simon Peter, and he says, but what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. By the way, this is where Jesus starts the church in this verse. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. You see, your faith is a gift from God. Your faith is a gift from God. And as a member of the church, you are saying that I have received that gift. I've received it. You see, a gift is only good if it's received. I could write every single person in this room a check for $500 and hand it to you on your way out of this, of this place. Now, of course, those would bounce uh, if too many of you did that. But let's just pretend that they wouldn't. I could give you all that check, and then it's your choice what you're going to do with it. And some of you, I would think, would think, oh, that was a cute little sermon outline for Pastor Keith. And they'd, you know, put it in their bulletin, and, and, and uh, it would wind up in their recycle bin on the way out. Others would take it and put it home, and it would sit in a pile someplace, and, you know, in, a, in about a year, maybe with all the other church bulletins, get thrown out. Others of you would say, hey, sweet, a check, and take it to the bank and, and deposit it, and then you'd have the money. Now, the gift was given to all, right? But it only... It only benefits those who receive it. See, that's how your faith is. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus said that, that, that God so loved the world that he gave his, his only son that whoever would believe would have, would have everlasting life and not perish. The gift of faith has been given to the world in the person of Jesus Christ. The message has been proclaimed, but not all receive it. But as a member of the church, you are saying that you do. See, that's important. Do you recognize what that means right there? That means that the church should be made up as the membership of the church should be believers in Jesus Christ. Now, that might seem like revolutionary, but it's not always looked at that way. <clears throat> you receive that gift. It's a powerful thing to recognize the grace of God in your life and the gift that he's given you. You didn't earn it. He gives it. And the reason why I'm making such a big deal out of that 
because when you recognize what God has given you, then your motivation for everything changes. Instead of being motivated by guilt or by compulsion or by, you know, feeling bad or by some obligation, oh, I got to go to church, oh, I got to do this, and yeah, I, got, I can't do this because I got to go do that, you know, some of us are living that world, don't we, where we feel guilty about not doing enough for God. <clears throat> you know, that's never our intent, by the way, as pastors, is to make a person feel guilty for not doing something for God. That's not what we're here to do. What we're here to do, because here's why, guilt only gets you so far. And, and, the, and the side effect of guilt is resentment. And when someone makes you feel guilty about doing or not doing something, over time, you begin to begin to get resentful toward that person or angry about that. And that's not what God desires. See, the motivation that God wants us to have for, for this relationship with Jesus is gratitude. It's to recognize what he's done for us. And when we recognize the gift that he's given us, then we lean into our faith, not as a, an obligation or, or, or some sort of, of, of burden, but rather it becomes a joy. And we say, Jesus, look what you've done for me. Look what he's done for us. Look what we've received from him. Why should we who have received so much riches from God live in spiritual poverty? There's no reason. Receive that gift. As a member, that's one of the vows that you make. Receive the faith. Let's talk a little bit more about what you do with this faith. The next thing that I'm going to say is this, that we profess the faith. We profess the faith. Now, I told you this before, but church membership is public. You stand here and acknowledge Christ. And if you read the text yourself, you can see... Whoever acknowledged me before others, Jesus said, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. We take a vow to profess this faith. Now, we have our seniors coming up at 11 o'clock, and this is, I'm going I'm to spend a little more time on this part with them because I want them to, to, to understand this, and many of you will, 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 will understand exactly what I'm talking about. Your life will profess something, won't it? Everyone's life does. Your life will say something. Your life will declare a message. What is it? Your life will say something is the most important thing. Is it Jesus or is it money? Is it Jesus or is it keeping up with your neighbors? Is it Jesus or is it having more stuff? Is it Jesus or is it achieving everything the world tells you you have to achieve in order to count in this world? Is it Jesus or is it, you know, running around and doing every other thing in the world? Your life is going to profess something. And I'm going to plead with our seniors this morning to let your life profess Christ. But for many people, this gets a little hairy because people are, are cool with just doing the church thing. But when you ask them to profess that grace, many people say, that's not what I want to do. And for some, it's downright offensive, isn't it? You know, if you ever want to know what's going on in whatever particular city you live in with the government, go to a high V at the deli at like 7 o'clock in the morning. And there's always a bunch of dudes sitting in there drinking 25-cent coffee that, that will tell you, okay? So I'm at high V a few years ago in, in, my, in my, old, my hometown, and, and this was a Monday morning, and, and we just had this amazing church service uh, the day before. And we had an open time for, for, for testimonies, and this guy who was kind of a newer believer, he was radically on fire for Christ. God had totally changed his life. He stood up in front of the church and he just said, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you for welcoming me. Let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And he, 
it was this beautiful testimony. You'd think that it was hard to follow the choir. It is, but man, hard to follow a, a testimony like that. Well, the next day I was sitting in this, in the high V thing and, and one of the, one of the older gentlemen was drinking coffee. He gets up, he walks over to me and he steps up to me. I'm sitting there with the, with the high school kid and he goes, well, hey, Keith, how you doing? I said, I'm doing great. How are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm really, really, uh, I'm really bothered about what happened in the worship service yesterday. I said, well, why is that? He said, you know, I just was offended. I just, I think that, that that was inappropriate for that guy to stand up and, and, and talk like that. And I'm like, like what? He said, well, you know, talk like, like all that Jesus stuff. I'm like, we were in church, you know? I mean, we weren't like at the mall or, or the library or something. I mean, we were in a worship service. That's what I went to yesterday. Is that where, you know? He says, well, I know that, but, you know, I just, and here's what he said. Your, your faith is a private thing. You're not supposed to talk about it. The preachers can talk about it, but nobody else. And, and especially not that guy. You know, just, that's just the way I was raised, he told me, that you don't talk about, what, politics and religion, right? Keep that stuff to yourself. And I looked at him. And, you know, got a, this was, you know, a few years back in my younger days when I, you know, like I told you, I didn't have quite the level of, you know, the filter. Yeah. So I looked at him and I'm like, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I couldn't disagree with you more. The scripture tells us that our faith is a public matter and that we should, we should, you know, tell people that we love Jesus. Don't you think that's important? And he just kind of, you know, gave me a grouchy look and, and, and took off. He just wasn't having that, you know. This guy was mad. I mean, he was like, he was like, his deal was, what are you doing to my church? People aren't supposed to talk like that in church. You're not supposed to say those things. You're supposed to keep it private. And I don't know where that comes from. It's not in the Bible. I don't know why this culture has said that. I, can, I understand that we don't want to like have arguments with people and that we don't want to you know, hurt relationships. But what is so offensive about the gospel message? What is so offensive about a person saying what Jesus has done in their life and that God has delivered me and he saved me and he loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you? I don't get it until I remember what my Bible tells me about the human heart, that it's desperately wicked and that the message of the gospel is foolishness to those who do not believe. And this guy was a member of the church. I don't think with integrity he could stand up here and say, I profess Christ with integrity, because he just told me that you can't do that and shouldn't do that. And I'm still lit up about it 15, 16 years later. Because I think that as Christians, we have to recognize this is a vow we take. This is part of what it means to follow Jesus, is that we share the faith. Now, does that mean that you have to get a bullhorn and go into like the break room at Rockwell Collins? I just want to tell all of you that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and you need it. No. The Bible doesn't say you have to be a dork. There's that filter thing not happening again, Pastor Mike. You got me going, man. The Bible doesn't say you have to be a jerk. The Bible doesn't say you have to be mean-spirited. The Bible doesn't say you have to be obnoxious. The Bible doesn't say you have to be overbearing. The Bible doesn't say you have to be rude, but it says that you have to profess Christ. You've got to tell people what he's done for you. 
And you tell them with your lifestyle, yes, I know that's all, you know, the way out for many of us. Well, I don't preach with my mouth, I preach with my life. I get that. But you need to start preaching with your mouth too. Because the gospel is not just a way of life, it's a message. It's not good advice, it's good news. It's not just some feel-good kind of, you know, little thing to say. It's the truth about what's actually happened, and we have to be able to say it. You saw Paul's verse about we received it through the hearing of the gospel. That's why we preach the way we do here at this church, by the way. We're committed to that. We're committed to making everything that we do about the gospel. Because we know that's where the power to, to have freedom comes from. And we stand up here as members and we profess that faith. Well, lastly, this, the last part of our, our vow for this week is this. We say that this faith is contained in the Old and New Testaments. And I love this verse from 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. How well do you know your Bible? How much do you read? Now, I'm not one of those guys that believes in like this rigid system of, you know, you got to do it this exact way and read this many verses per day or you're a bad Christian or something like that. That's not how I operate. You know, I don't believe like that. But I do think it's important that each of us recognizes that our faith is found in the scriptures. And you say, well, duh, that's obvious. Not so these days. There's a lot of other places people look to to get their faith. Some look to, you know, the media or whatever Ellen says or Oprah or whoever's on TV. Some look to what their friends think is okay or what their family says or what they were taught when they were growing up or whatever their own opinions might be about a particular thing. Hey, what does the Bible say? Our faith is contained in these scriptures. It's contained in the Old and New Testaments. Now, as Methodists, you know, one of the tools that John Wesley has given us is this, this thing called the quadrilateral. Where are the confirmation kids? You guys, do you guys learn this yet? You learned the quadrilateral? Faith, or what is it? Scripture, tradition. Anybody know the other ones? You're the teacher. Of course you know it. Experience. <laughs> Mike was the guy in class that always raised his hand first, wasn't he? Anybody's teach, any of your teachers in here? No. <laughs> Okay, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, okay? These are the ways that we process our faith, but of course the chief of these is is scripture. So I could graduate confirmation, I think, right? You see, the scriptures are what gives us our authority, are what gives us our our understanding of the Bible, and, and, and to understand our faith. How much authority does it have in your life? You know, in just a couple hours, we're gonna have these graduating seniors come in here, and, and we're going to give them one of, these, one of these Bibles. Now, this is not a cheap Bible, by the way. This is like a $30 or $40 Bible. You say, wow, there's a lot of these up here. The church, the church paid for these. The, I think United Methodist Women are the ones that, that bought these Bibles every year for our, our graduating seniors. And this is a, a study Bible, which means that it's got questions and, and devotions and different things inside it. And our job as a church really doesn't end here. But one of our main things is that we bless these kids as they get ready to go off into wherever they're going to go with the Bible. Now, they got a Bible when they were in second grade, and they probably got another one laying around at at home, but we want one of the last things they remember in their church experience is to be handed this very useful tool, to be handed this because we know that, especially some of them that are going to step into some, you know, secular liberal schools are going to hear the first day of class 
that this is a bunch of junk. They're going to step into a, a history class. I remember it happened to me. And the history professor is going to say, well, now we all know that, you know, the Bible isn't, isn't relevant or isn't true, that it's myths and legends and all this kind of stuff. And I want us to be able to say to our students, I want them to be able to know what the truth is. Because you know how it is. When you step into that world, everyone wants to tear your faith down. And it starts, first and foremost, with tearing the Scriptures down. When we devalue the Scriptures, when we devalue what the Word of God says, that opens the door to everything else. That's why we preach the way we do here. We preach the Gospel and we we preach a lot of Scripture. As soon as we're finished with this sermon series, we'll be going through another book of the Bible verse by verse because we want that to be the center of our life. Not some... You know, a little Christian soup for the chicken soul. Read the newspaper, make a couple comments, and tell a poem and send them on their way deal. All right? Chicken soup for the Christian soul. Christian soup. Christian soup for the chicken soul. It's all the same. Maybe some of the chicken souls need some Christian soup. I don't know, Mike. I got two more services left. (laughs) Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Open your Bibles. Know your Bibles. Make them part of your life. Can you imagine what would happen if every member of First United Methodist Church spent double the amount of time in their Bibles that they do right now? Can you imagine what would happen if every single one of us opened that up more and let the truth of God's Spirit override the voices that come from this world, I'll tell you what, our vision and mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world would be so much more alive and, and much, so much more reality to us. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives if, if the primary voice that we heard was the voice of God through the Scriptures? How much of our issues would, would go away? how much of our, of our pride would be brought low and how much of our shame would be brought up because we'd know who Jesus is and what he has for us. Challenge all of us to do that. These are the vows that we take. These are the vows that we make as members of the church. So should you join? Should you join? That's between you and God, but I tell you what, you should if you can profess these things. If these are things that you want in your life, if you're ready to say, yes, absolutely, I want to receive that freedom. I'm tired of of living as a slave to sin. I'm tired of, of trying to do this my way and trying to come up with enough willpower. I'll be the first to admit it doesn't work. I'm tired of, of living in that 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 circle. That that what I what one of my favorites refer my favorite preachers refers to as the cul-de-sac of stupidity, which is that more or, or that more of what doesn't work will work. I'm tired of living that way. If you're ready to say, I want freedom from Jesus, I want to receive that. I don't want to have to try to buy it or figure out how to get it. I just want to receive it from God. Then this is a church that's going to help you do that. This is a church that's going to help in all of our journey toward that as we profess this faith that God has given us. We're not going to keep it to ourselves. We're not going to keep it hidden. We're going to preach it from the mountaintops. We're going to let it shine through us. 
that's what Jesus has called us to do, we're going to acknowledge him. And he's going to acknowledge us. Let's pray together. Lord God, I want to thank you, Lord, for this, this congregation, Lord. Their, their hearts are, are inclined to you at this very moment, Lord. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God, I ask that you would just begin to pour grace upon grace into our hearts. Lord, for those of us who've been trying so hard to overcome things in life and we've just failed over and over again in and of ourselves, Lord, let us remember your words that, that you have come that we might have life and that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And if we would come to you, you would give us rest for our souls. Father, let that freedom be so abundantly clear today. And Father, may we be people who receive it and proclaim it. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a look at this video. Hi, my name is Lynn Kennedy. I love going to Marion Methodist Church. One way that I like to give back is through the youth mission. I'm a youth leader here at Marion Methodist and enjoy every Wednesday night I get to spend with the kids. This is just one of the reasons why I like to give to Marion Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping this way? Will the ushers please come forward?